Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my closet recording, not as far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hey, Matt. Oh, it's like I can feel you so close to me. We're mere blocks from one another compared to before. What a miracle. I love it. All right, coming up today, we're going to kick things off with Worst Things First, where I shout about the stupidest, most ridiculous, worst news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into moving, because I just moved from Manhattan to Brooklyn during a pandemic. And listen, I've got a lot of pent up frustrations that I need to get out And then we've got Jasmine Hughes on the pod. Jasmine is a Metro reporter at the New York Times. She's written for Elle, Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, New York Times Magazine. She's funny. She loves to complain. And she was under deadline during our conversation. And I will always respect that level of procrastination. Always. But before we get into all that, Barry, how was your week? How was this week in in CORE? I'm back in New York. Uh, My neck went out again, but it's all okay because you live in exactly 15 minute walk from my door to your door. We got to hang out this weekend. So that was really wonderful. So I'd say uh, I'm starting off this week pretty great. I would ask how you are, but I also have a feeling we're going to get into it in the deep dive, but maybe just like a a quick uh, a prelude, a quick preview. Um, how was your quarantine week? I, I will say I Googled this morning with some of my symptoms and it was the first time I ever felt better about anything after Googling symptoms. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 
You're the only person on this planet. Incredible. Yeah. WebMD, actually, the Mayo Clinic, they do two things really well. Making mayonnaise and scaring the shit out of people when you Google symptoms. And today <laughs> I got absolutely neither. I didn't I didn't get any mayonnaise for my chicken salad. And I didn't get bad news when I Googled symptoms. No, I mean, obviously moving, I, I was lifting a lot of heavy stuff. So I was worried about my back. And um, basically I Googled what a herniated disc is. And it was less scary than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be manageable for sure. Right. It's not like, oh, you're fucked for forever. Life. Yeah, no, 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 no. Temporarily. Ideally temporarily, unless it doesn't go away or I start losing control of my bladder. <laughs> so we'll see. On that note, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start the show. All right. Worst things first. Let's talk about the worst news of the week first. German police say they're losing hope trying to find who left a box of vials on a train thought to contain the DNA from hamsters. Why? (laughs) What is happening? I don't know. Yeah. What like German supervillain is breeding killer hamsters somewhere in Berlin? I, I this is a Godzilla situation just waiting to happen. That'd be a really, really cute Godzilla, though. No. Did you ever see Nutty Professor 2? <laughs> I can't say that I have. They blow up a hamster. It gets super big and scary. And then it it does. It humps a man who's wearing a fur coat, obviously, <laughs> because this was this was the early 2000s and this was the peak of comedy in, in Height, cinema. Absolute. And yeah, I remember we saw that at a drive through movie theater. It was a double feature. It was like a, a big mama's house. <laughs> Natty <laughs> Professor, too. Incredible. Double feature. Uh, only the best. Only the best. Anyway, uh, this sounds less like a comedy, more like an action thriller. There's no way this ends well. There's no situation <laughs> in which someone finds abandoned hamster DNA on a train in Germany. Someone who is not keeping good track of the DNA that they're carting around. I don't trust it. No, that's not something. Uh, it's not a granola bar. You know, you don't just like misplace. Do people misplace granola bars? All the time I do. <laughs> Every morning I wake up, I have to check my, if I leave my apartment, I go keys, wallet, granola bar, and I always forget. Yeah, I know. Anyway, officers had hoped to crack the case by publicizing the, the find, but despite intense media interest, uh, the owner of the hamster DNA has remained elusive that's how you know it's fucked up dna yeah if it were just like your run-of-the-mill hamster dna someone would be like oh i'm so sorry yeah that was mine i i got off at the wrong stop i just like completely totally weird day but no if no one steps up for that it's like oh god they cannot connect me to that dna because there's some fucked up shit in there something is wrong there is something they're not telling us uh police said that they disposed of the vials as the cold chain had been broken i don't really know what that Means. I don't know but the point is. is, oh, good. Sure, just just throw it away. So now it's in the sewer system. That's just what we need. Some German mutant hamster gators. German mutant hamster gators. German mutant hamster gators. I'd watch that show. <laughs> yeah. 
I do like to think that these vials included just just little hamster sperm samples, like from from some hamster sperm bank for hamster mothers who want to have little hamster babies but don't want to wait for some man. <laughs> what a beautiful image. Next, speaking of strong, powerful women who don't need no man, experts at the St. Louis Zoo are trying to figure out how a 62-year-old ball python laid seven eggs despite not being near a male python for at least two decades. Shiro, Shiro, (laughs) Shiro. Yeah, first of all, absolute Shiro for going two full decades without having to interact with a man. Honestly, enviable. Second of all, who says older women can't be sex symbols? This ball python proving them wrong. I like to think her name is like Estelle, like a classy older woman. Oh, absolutely. Because she doesn't have a name, unfortunately. They never named her. What? I guess they didn't have time in six decades to name this fucking (laughs) snake. So anyway, Estelle, I'll call her Estelle the snake, the ball python. She's this beautiful, sleek, older woman approaching retirement age saying, guess what? I'll fuck myself <laughs> and, and, and lay some eggs. The manager of the kind of snake department at the zoo said it was unusual but not rare for ball pythons to reproduce asexually. These snakes can sometimes store sperm for delayed fertilization. Sick, bruh. So she's just she's just been keeping a little sack of sperm in her for two full decades. <laughs> just a little little uh, ball in her pocket, you know? That's exactly what Mary did in the Bible. And then everyone was like, oh, she's a virgin. No, she was just storing it. <laughs> the guy also said the birth is unusual because ball pythons usually stop laying eggs long before they reach their 60s. Not Estelle. Mm-mm. She said, I'm going to shit out these eggs no matter how old I am. I'll put on my eyeliner right before I go to bingo and I'll shit out some eggs. She'd definitely be the oldest snake we know of in history to lay eggs. Um, This guy said, noting that she's the oldest snake ever documented at the St. Louis Zoo. Oh, in any zoo. Oh, my God. In a zoo. She is a record breaker. This is literally what the Guinness Book of World Records was made for. Whoever Guinness was. Was he? He made beer, and then he made a big old book that comes out once a year that should be dedicated to Estelle the ball python because she is breaking all of them. And finally, a sheriff's deputy in Georgia was delivering civil papers. Don't really know what that means. When she heard something in her patrol car, turns out a goat had climbed into the open driver's seat, ate a bunch of paperwork, knocked over a drink, and then bumped the deputy (laughs) to the ground. Damn! (laughs) Fred the goat radicalizes another comrade against the police state. Yes. Oh, proud of you, Fred. Yes. I guess the sheriff's office explained in a Facebook post that the deputy, they, I guess they leave their car doors open on calls like this in case like they have to escape quickly because of aggressive dogs, but that the deputy did not consider having to retreat from an agitated goat. I guess you'll think again next time. Honestly, all of these stories make me want to get a goat. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the problem with getting a go is, A, you're going to have to deal with its its kind of long-term radicalization. Right. Uh, but B, you have no idea when the, the thing is going to escape. That's true. They're sneaky motherfuckers. Fred could come by at any time and set mm-hmm. that man free, and you would have no idea. It's beyond your control. 
Um, when asked for comment, the goat reportedly said, <laughs> which, um, according to my training as a goat interpreter, it roughly translates. I, I mean, I only went to like a year of schooling for this, but according to my translation, um, it r- rough, roughly means there is no such thing as blue lives because becoming a police officer is an occupation and not an identity that you are born with like race, which is why saying blue lives matter is meaningless and insulting to black and brown communities who are systematically discriminated against long before they were able to choose a career from like what they saw in Paw Patrol. I don't know if that's an exact translation, but oh, yeah, um, definitely. it's close. It's close. So good for that go. I think he totally gets it. And on that note, that's it for Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into the horrors of moving. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. All right. Well, if you haven't picked up on it yet, I moved this week. Did you know that? Have I said it yet? Wait, you moved? I Yeah. Hadn't you heard? <laughs> I moved during a pandemic and a recession and my period, which is the heaviest it's been in months. Because that's always how it is, isn't it, ladies? Just, just when you need at least, bam, blue gel everywhere, all over my pants. But really, this was literally the most stressful week I've had in a long time. And before you get all high and mighty and be like, oh, Matt, you, it's because you waited to do all, all the work on moving until 10 days before you actually had to move. You shut your dirty mouth. Okay. Sorry, I'm not Miss Cleo. Sorry, sorry, I can't see into the future more than two weeks ahead of time and could see what's going to happen and know what I'm supposed to do. You're asking me to plan ahead like I'm some sort of mountaintop oracle that all of the oily men of Sparta come to for advice. I don't care if I'd started planning my move nine months in advance and let it gestate in my colon like a tiny demon. Moving is stressful as heck, okay? Full stop. It doesn't matter how long you wait to actually do anything. So let's talk about it. This is why moving is the worst. First, why the hell do I have so much stuff? (laughs) I honestly, I don't know how beavers do it. They manage to keep all those sticks and leaves and piles of mud without going insane. And then they just pick it up and move it like like it's nothing with their big chunky teeth. (laughs) But for real, every time I packed a box and then looked up and realized how much stuff I still had to pack, I had to like sit down and do a full fetal position whale, just curled up like a little roly poly and then primal scream. Well, yeah, because like each each box that you fill and you look around and it's like, oh, I've done absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like it, it, it looks like it makes no difference because it's also like all the stuff that's in drawers that you're putting away. But it still looks like there's stuff in there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even though when I was packing like the last box, I was still like, I feel like there's still shit everywhere. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're making any progress at any point. It is just no. stuff upon stuff upon stuff. I use this rental like bin service. Um, so they drop off the bins and then you fill them and then they pick them up where you move. You select like I'm moving from a one bedroom and they were like, okay, that'll be 30 bins. I ended up using 45 bins <laughs> and then I still had to go to Home Depot and then get like 12 more extra large boxes. <laughs> For a one-bedroom apartment. I do also, I had to go to fucking Home Depot. 
which is illegal. <laughs> and each of my boxes, they weighed approximately one whole Clifford the dog. It was, <laughs> I, I don't understand why everything is so heavy. You don't think about it when it's like just in your house and then suddenly you pick up one book and it's like, why do you weigh 30 pounds? <laughs> also, it makes you question like why you bought anything in the first place. The number of times this week where I like looked at my stuff and I was like, I could absolutely burn this all to the ground, move to Tibet and become a monk. And yet you can't like, even though you know that you could burn everything that's there, the idea of getting rid of anything is the hardest in the whole world. Oh, yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say about have if I had started earlier because, like, I got everything that I needed to do done. You did it. You moved. But if I had started sooner, I'd be, I would have been able to go through all of my stuff and gotten rid of a bunch of stuff. Um, but my attitude toward the end was like, fuck it. It's all going in the bins and I'm bringing it all with. And the problem now is that my new apartment does have a lot more space. And now I just have room to shove everything in corners, mm -hmm. which is a problem. Because I cannot accumulate more garbage. I need to get rid of stuff. Marie Kondo had a point. And I <laughs> hate giving her credit because she told me to whisper I love you to my socks. But you know what? She made a point. Every time I backed a box, I was like, materialism is a sin. And whoever bought all of this stuff is going straight to hell. But also, I love all of it. <laughs> Next. Also, moving is expensive as heck. I don't know how the circus manages to stay in business when they have to move from town to town every few days. Oh my God, great point. All the circus freaks must be on the verge of bankruptcy just all the time. You got to pay a security deposit, first month's rent, and oh, all the fees at the new place. Then you got to pay the old place to fix up all the semen stains that you left. And then you got to pay for boxes and the bins. You got to pay movers. You got to pay to finally dispose of the body you had stuffed in the back of the closet this whole time. It's just, it's a miracle I have anything left, frankly. Truly. You also, you have to deal with the possibility that one of your movers could be the hunky man of your dreams. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's the day that I'm moving. I'm more stressed than I've ever been in my life. And now I have to look cute enough to potentially meet my future second husband. I mean, it's also kind of a good moment to meet your future husband because it's like he's seeing you at a very low point and it's like, oh, you and he's there to help. And like, that's that's a beautiful thing for a relationship. You know, it's like starting low, but, you know, he's already there for you. Also, what what did you end up wearing? A, a, a jock strap and <laughs> uh, a mesh tank but it was it was slightly uncomfortable i was very sweaty mm. so when's the wedding well we'll see i uh, first of all you didn't hear me say second husband because oh my God, i'm so sorry obviously i wouldn't marry the mover right away you know we'd keep in touch we'd you know we'd have sort of like a moment on the day of the move and then we'd keep in touch and then when my first marriage starts getting a little sour me and the mover would start up like a little thing on the side and then one year I'd be like oh you know I'm gonna go on a business retreat to Cincinnati uh, but actually I'd just buy a one-way plane ticket to like Vancouver mm. and, the, and the mover and I we would buy like a Canadian maple syrup farm Oh, love that. And we'd run like a little bed and breakfast on our estate there. And that's, you know, that's just the kind of bliss that you can't just rush into. No, no. You have to let it build. 
But yeah, so on moving day, I have the pressure of all of that. I have to prepare for that meet cute, the possibility of that meet cute and the pressure of my entire future ahead of me. Fortunately, it, none of my movers were really that hot. So I didn't have that pressure because oh, um, I don't think I could have handled it. Next, I'll just say it. I hate tipping. <laughs> and by that, I don't mean I hate paying people for the services that they provide. I just hate having to guess how much I should tip. I don't like the like guessing game. I don't like the like awkwardness of how much it should be just included in the price of things. This right. applies to everything. Why? Why do we live in a society where tipping is, is just including in the price? So we don't like have to guess. And I just want to state, um, you do tip. I tip. But the problem also is that my approach to avoiding the awkwardness of it is that I often like wildly over tip. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to deal with the awkwardness of it. So it ends up like the confusion ends up being more expensive for me. But but it's like, yeah, I feel like most European countries like don't have like a tipping system. It's just like the price of things is what it is. <sighs> the point is we need to band together to eat Jeff Bezos. Also, you get to discover all the fun little flaws your new place has that you didn't realize were there upon first inspection. Like how loud the neighbors make whoopee at night or like how there's a herd of feral city cats in the alleyway outside your bedroom window that host a wild jellicle ball every night at midnight. Or in my case, the fact that the microwave is apparently purely decorative and does oh, not no. actually function. <laughs> <laughs> Which I learned the hard way when I was trying to melt butter yesterday. Wait, I know this is a very annoying question, but was it plugged in? Yeah, it was fucking plugged in. Okay. <laughs> the I'm microwave sorry. fully, the, the microwave fully like works like it's on and I put it in and like I punch the number in and I press start and I set the power. The power was set to 100%. And I tried, I microwaved butter for like 45 seconds and it absolutely nothing happened. No. <laughs> No. It was still cold. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really just if the point of this microwave is if you just want to have like a little fashion show, and you, put, <laughs> you put your butter or your microwave popcorn on the little stand and then he, it twirls around under the lights. <laughs> and nothing beautiful ballerina. <laughs> so, yeah, going to have to figure that out. I guess I just won't eat for the for, for several days. <laughs> and finally... You just have to interact with too many people. Brokers, movers, new neighbors, the creepy old man who lives inside the walls and escapes once a night through the vents to make potty and gently lick your, your face while you're sleeping. I don't want to talk to any of these people. I just want to get in my little pillow fort and go to sleep and be done with it. Amen. But honestly, yeah, at the end of all the craziness, you're all settled and cozy and moved in and you get to start a new chapter of your life. And I guess that's exciting. So I'll take it. And now you're my neighbor. And now I'm your neighbor and I get to take a fat shit on your front lawn whenever I want. And that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Jasmine Hughes on the pod right after this commercial break. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. My guest complainer today is writer Jasmine Hughes. She's written for Elle, Cosmopolitan, Vogue, uh, or Teen Vogue, excuse me, even better, honestly. Oh, and regular and now- Vogue. Don't get it twisted. Both folks. <laughs> all folks. Both folks. All of the folks. And now is uh, a full-time writer and editor at the New York Times. You know, no big deal. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you, Matt Balasai. I am happy to be here, but not happy about anything else. Right, which is perfect. That is the attitude I like to hear only for this podcast and not actually for, for personal, you know. I don't want you to be deteriorating as a person, but for the sake of my podcast, I'm glad you are. I'm going to talk it up. Don't worry. Let's go. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll jump right in then. We, we like to get started by asking, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? The thing that I detest more than anything in the world that everyone loves is dessert. I go, I go out to dinner all the time, even though we're in the middle of a global health pandemic, and when I got to dinner with friends, we had a delicious meal. We had two glasses of wine and we're all like lounging on each other. And then the waiter comes mm-hmm. by with the dessert menu. That's when I fly into a rage because I fucking hate dessert. <laughs> fly into a rage. What's the goddamn point of dessert? I just, I, feel like I don't understand. My accommodating, okay. This is the one. Usually I feel like it is my accommodating nature to go, to go along with my guest and to say, you know what? I hate that thing too. But this is this is egregious, frankly. Is it just that you were are full and that like you don't need any more? Are you just not interested in any of the dessert items? I find that presentation of sugar to be insulting. I'm not listen, I'll never turn down food. If after consuming right. a huge meal, a waiter came by and asked if I wanted like a digestif of potato chips or uh, like another like mini steak. I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But you know, my Bellis, I'll tell you a story. Um, seven years ago, when I was young and stupid, I gave my DNA to the government because I wanted to know where my ancestors came from. Uh-huh. First of all, in your 23andMe results, if you're a black person, it didn't really tell you very much about where your ancestors came from. So <laughs> I got screwed over on yeah. that one. But it did tell me that I have a genetic predisposition to savory foods, which made me feel so much better about my lifelong aversion to the following items. 
like a chocolate croissant, like mm-hmm. a mousse or a, f- a fruit tart, which I fully just eat a piece of fruit. And I fully don't understand <laughs> ice cream. I don't really. You're just listing things you all you hate. Just th- these are all things that I would never in my life pay money for. If I'm feeling incredibly stressed, I might take a tiny bite of someone's. Uh, I'll have a piece of birthday cake on somebody else's birthday. For my birthday, I choose to have a birthday lasagna complete with candles. Ooh, okay. That I can get behind. Oh, uh-huh. listen, that's the one thing that we can agree on. But dessert itself, I find offensive, <laughs> I find it uninteresting, and it's bland. Have you ever had a dessert in New York that has been uh, in any way... Re- I know this is like conversion therapy ideology, saying like, maybe you just haven't had the right... You haven't met the right dessert. But have you ever had a dessert that made you reconsider... Made you think twice for a second. I like uh, I like the banana pudding at Magnolia. I eat it like once a year and I'm good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That is a once a year food, though. That is like that. That banana pudding is so, so thick and rich. And it's if you have that more than once a year, you'll die. I had it last summer and I'm still tasting it. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, a staple of New York dessert foods and it is only consumable in that quantity. You mentioned going out uh, to eat and how, how often you've gone out to eat in the past. Uh, well, I guess however long restaurants have kind of been open. I have yet to do the outdoor dining thing. It feels horrible to me, but you're doing it. Oh, well, a little known fact about me is that I have a kink for eating while high beams are being shown in my face while I'm sitting in the middle of DeKalb Avenue. There's nothing more insulting to the human condition than waiting for a table to sit in the street. (laughs) 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 To sit in the middle of a major through affair of Brooklyn and have like cars and bikes and scooters and delivery people and children and skateboarders whiz past you. While you're like pretending that you're, you know, that you're like dining in the south of France, like you're dining al fresco in something really incredibly romantic. Um, there are rats yeah. scurrying by. There are heaps <laughs> of trash like within eye distance, within nose distance, within smell distance. And yet, I don't know how to cook. So <laughs> I, this is what I got to do. How did you eat when when restaurants were like fully closed? Takeout exclusively? Uh, I ate a lot of eggs. eggs. Mm. I think I, I think I might have just eaten eggs for two months. I sort of blacked out. I don't really remember. And a rotisserie chicken probably fell in once or twice. Eggs and cereal. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Honestly, that is 90% of my diet. I think that the world has gone back and forth over whether eggs are actually good for you or not. I, I feel like that's one of those foods that's like, well... You eat one egg and your cholesterol is through the roof, but but also like it has protein and I don't know. I just feel like we need to get on the same page as a society about what eggs are doing. You know, I'll tell you, one of my best friends eats four to six eggs every single day and he looks like Jewish Hercules. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to be like him. I think eggs are great. That's great. I would say one, send me his info. <laughs> and two, I probably do eat like at least at least three eggs a day. Oh, yeah. That's how I start my day. I think eggs, they're delicious. They're hard to fuck up. They really come in a pinch if, I don't know, for example, you find yourself in a global health crisis where everything is shut down and you are relegated to being in your home for several months by yourself and can't cook. Yeah. You get one carton of eggs. That's that's a meal for, for a week or a day if you're a Jewish Hercules. <laughs> 
how has your like quarantine been? What's what's the temp check right now? Uh, temperature is hot, hot, hot because I have a social life now. I think everyone is like very slowly warming up to outdoor dining, and I am the bridge since I'm I because I'm at a restaurant every day. I've become a regular at a restaurant since COVID began. Nice. The hostess gave a me regular. her cell phone number the other day. <laughs> okay, um, like real, real regular. Uh, yeah, I go out all the time. If you called me and said, "Hey, Jasmine, can we get a drink?" I would say, "Matt, the next time I'm free is next Tuesday." So <laughs> I'm having a very busy, weirdly busy time. Which is great. I mean, I I do feel like it. It feels like the mood, at least temporarily, has maybe right now. It, it almost feels like the eye of the hurricane is is over us, and it's like okay, let's enjoy the sunshine while we can. While we can, before we're uh, made to go back inside in the colder months. And I also want to amend all this and say that I get COVID tested more than anyone I know because I go to restaurants more than anyone I know. So every, okay, good, every good. morning, every Monday morning before I have my eggs, I go to the health clinic down the street from my house and get my nose swamped and get my results back later that week. So no COVID yet, but I know that for certain. Amazing. That is, that is a routine. That is a true. I've been COVID tested seven times. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm still like kind of not scared. It's just like, I don't want anybody tickling my brain. It's less of a brain tickle. It's more like you're in a pool and you've inhaled a little bit too much chlorine in your gut. That is the weird. That's worse than if you just said my brain was going to be tickled. That visual sent me back to a a dark place. But it kind of, you're like, oh, it's still summer. I'm still getting like that chlorine blur up my nose, even though I haven't seen any of my friends, family, or loved ones in several months. It's still summer. Ah. Sure. Yeah. It, uh, that that feeling of like near drowning it was was always like, OK, at least reminiscent of, of, a, of a nicer time. So we're mixing misery and, and joy here. <laughs> so you are now full time at The New York Times. Is that correct? Oh, I've worked at the Times for five years full time. I've been an editor for five years, but now I'm a full time writer. Full time writer. Got it. Got it. I knew there. I knew there was a, a, an announcement in the past couple of weeks, yeah, and I wasn't yeah. sure that the actual specific. So, but now you're going to be sort of splitting time between the magazine and the metro section. Yes, indeed. The next couple of months, I will just be writing for the metro section just to like learn the ropes on how to report since. I don't know how to be a reporter. And then in early next year, I will split my time writing stories for the magazine and for Metro. Here's the thing, Matt, about becoming a full-time writer is that people expect you to write. So I'm currently on a deadline (laughs) for a story that I'm supposed to be writing. And I just, I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And yet it has to be done because this is my job now. And so I feel like, uh, go blues in arrested development. Just like I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. That is the worst part about writing, is is writing. <laughs> and then you have to keep doing it. It's fucked up. Honestly, it's sick. Do you work well on a deadline? I work well under immense stress and fear that I will be fired or like a dragon will come and eat me or my editor will make fun of me in front of everybody in the entire world. Yes. <laughs> I can only work Good. if I'm under stress. Right. So, yeah, you respond well to shame and... Uh, I was homeschooled. Sure. Yes, of course. <laughs> I went to a religious homeschool. I love shame. It's my only motivator. 
That's true. I think uh I think that the the moment that I became like not really Catholic was the moment that my productivity really took a dive cuz it was like, oh, if Jesus is not going to be mad at me for not doing my homework. Right. Then what am I doing is? here? What's the what's the point? No, I think there yeah. should be more shame in this world, honestly. And anytime someone does something I find egregious, I'm sort of like, where are your friends? Like, who was holding you accountable for the terrible <laughs> things that you're doing? Like, where's, like, why aren't your friends roasting you in the group chat? You should be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed of yourself. When you're racist, I'm like, you should be embarrassed. That's, that's embarrassing. Somebody yeah. should be making fun of you. Um, you've also been, uh, I read this, but also you said it before we started recording, um, that you've been learning how to skateboard. Oh, yeah. So this was a year in which I was convinced I was going to die. Because I don't know if you know this based off the several mentions of uh, COVID so far in this podcast, but there's a global mm-hmm. health crisis. Not so between that yeah, right. and in case anybody is in case anyone forgot, not listening or forgot, uh, we are in the middle of a global health pandemic. But between COVID and the uprisings around anti-black racism and racial justice that mm-hmm. emerged over um, throughout the country, rather over the course of the summer and including up till you know yesterday and today. And watching the anger and fear um, experienced by some people in white communities and non-black communities become mobilized towards violence, I was just scared of everything all the time. So Mm -hmm. at the end of April, I got a skateboard off of Craigslist because I had been inside for five weeks and no one had touched me, but also no one had given me any attention. So I was like, I would like to impress a girl. I don't know which girl. I don't know where. I don't know how, but... I got I to gotta do something so I can flirt again. And I'd been teaching myself how to skateboard. And it's very scary. But it turns out if you are afraid of everything else all the time, skateboarding can actually be incredibly freeing. <laughs> that is true. When, when, you're, when your fear is put in perspective, it makes um, some of the other stuff seem... It, it makes falling off a skateboard seem quaint. When I'm looking at COVID and police brutality and anti-black racism i'm like i can do an ollie please that's nothing that's a piece of cake but not literally because cake is disgusting uh okay well (laughs) just slip that one in there (laughs) uh there is something also i feel like that strikes i feel like skateboarders on the sidewalk strike fear in me and there is something i think powerful about learning to skate in order to strike that fear into other people and I just mean, like, I, I could see a, a five-year-old, like, little preppy boy on a skateboard, and I, I, I can't go near it. It's too scary to me. Well, because that kid has no control. Mm-hmm. That, those wheels could go wildly off the chains at any minute, and I'm at risk. <laughs> so every time you leave your home, are you terrorized by bands of five-year-olds on skateboarders <laughs> just, like, extolling their personal agency and holding it over their, your head? <laughs> I yeah, I find children following their dreams and expressing themselves to be th- personally threatening. Um, <laughs> I I was trained from a very young age to and every time I open the front door to be afraid of everything. And I I don't know how much my mother knows like the damage <laughs> that she did in this respect, but that is that is the the attitude that I go out into the world with, which is um, you know perhaps oddly fitting for our time right now but it makes finding those moments of joy a little bit harder and but there's so much more worth it when you're able 
to actually find them. Up until, let's say, three weeks ago, I didn't think I knew how to ride a bike because I hadn't in five years because I had uh-huh. fallen off of one and refused to get back on. I don't know how to drive. I barely know how to swim. I know how to not die in a body of water. So I don't know how to do very much with my body. So when I got on the skateboard for the first time, I was like, this is an incredible way to lose the set of teeth that I've spent the past, you know, 20 years trying to grow. But first of all, didn't have anything better to do with my time in uh, April, May, and June. But secondly, I wanted to, again, impress the girls. But thirdly, I guess, and most importantly, I was searching for some control over the fear that I had been feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. And this was a fear that I created for myself. And so I felt like I could define the angles, boundaries, and limitations around it because I can always, you know, just knock it on the skateboard or hop off right before it goes Mm -hmm. into traffic or choose to wear a helmet, even though I haven't yet done that. Um, (laughs) So I found all of that to be refreshing. Yes. And the option is there, but I have a really big head and I have a lot of hair. So it's hard for me to find one that works. I thought you were going to say that 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 you're protected. That means you'll be you'll be fine. Oh, you know, uh, now that I think about it, my hair is an afro, so hopefully my hair is springy enough that I, if I was to fall and hit my head, the curls would just like pop me back up onto my feet, a little springboard action there. You know. You know, I, I mean, it's not nothing. I feel like as a gay with thinning hair, <laughs> for sure, if my head hits the ground, it's slides out it's a wrap <laughs> it's a wrap on matt Ballisai, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i have also I, I started uh kind of like getting into city bike a little bit more and um i also had that moment getting on it where i was like i don't i don't remember the last time i rode a bike especially in new york it's just just like terrifying to me the idea of getting uh onto a bicycle around that many cars was horrifying wasn't too bad. I don't know what your bike experience was like. Well, the thing about the city bike is that imagine, Matt Balenciaga, that you're on a city bike and then you die. And then the first line of your obituary has to feature the name of a brand. <laughs> and you're just giving this place yeah. free exposure. I mean, there's a New York Times story like uh, Matt Balenciaga, a um, podcast and gay around town, was found dead after a after climbing to a truck while he's running his city bike down 6th Avenue or something like, mm-hmm. and then city bank has to get involved. And then like, people are like adding city bank or city bike on Twitter, like angry on your behalf. Like nobody wants to bring band management into this. Like leave these poor PR reps alone. <laughs> uh, a few things that you have said that you hate that we, we can kind of close out with one is uh, that we didn't get to Halloween. Halloween's the worst holiday. Here's the thing. My birthday's in late October. At the beginning of October, people are like, it's almost Halloween. I say, no, it's almost my birthday, which is six days before Halloween. Let's focus on uh-huh. the more important holiday in the month of October. But also because I mentioned I went to this religious homeschool, I was raised a pretty strict Christian. I never got to celebrate Halloween, which is like, you know, fine. I still got a lot of candy in late October. I was never mad. But coming to it as an adult... I think the first time I handed out candy on a stoop to the children was two years ago. I was like, this is insane. Strangers come to your house cloaked in disguises. And you're supposed to just give them things because it's not November yet. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. 
I I love that your um, criticism of Halloween is not rooted in like adult <laughs> party. It's it's the literal act of trick or treating and giving out candy to children. Oh, I have no problem with drunken revelry because <laughs> I I would much rather I'd have a hundred Halloweens over like a SantaCon or something, you know. But I just I don't understand. Like I'm supposed to give you something because. Because it's October 31st. What I do mm-hmm. like about Halloween is that sometimes dogs wear costumes. And that is something that I can fully stand behind. But like this, these weird interpersonal interactions where I have to like don fake teeth and like corn syrup mixed with red food dye and give out bite-sized Snickers to strangers. Just it, it feels off to me. It just it doesn't make any sense. I love the, the the building that I'm in has a great Halloween policy, which is they send out an email to all of the apartments and they say, if you want trick or treaters, like sign up and they put a designated trick or treater pumpkin outside of your door to mark your apartment as like safe to go to. <laughs> never once have I agreed to it in the time that I've lived here. But I like that there is, it's an opt-in policy. Oh, I mean, and that's the way it should be. In, on Christian door fronts, you know, there are signs that say something along the lines of no tricks, no treats, just Jesus, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure we hung up at one point during my childhood. Yeah, there are all sorts of things you can do to dissuade people from coming to your home and begging for sugar, but whatever. I mean, you, you know, people love this thing, so. First of all, Jesus was a trick and a treat. Eh, Jesus is a little snack. He did both. I think famously he he did like 30 (laughs) or something tricks. Get you a deity who can do both. Yes. (laughs) So a couple of, uh, we we like to dig up your your hate tweets, things that you've said that you've hated. You hate DC. I hate Washington, DC. Which is, I think, a, a fair. I don't know if anyone truly enjoys it there you have to know people to enjoy dc i don't think you can go to dc alone and sort of like stumble into some fun but every time i go to dc and i would go from work i would come across people who were all dressed in what people in new york were wearing five years ago like 12 years ago, like all the women were wearing like jewel tone, like peplum dresses. And all the guys were wearing like that button down shirt from Old Navy and khakis in boat shoes and boat shoes. Like imagine donning a boat shoe on the Eastern seaboard during the Trump administration. Like they're, they're just behind. It's like it's a little bit like going back in time when you go to D.C. fashion wise. I think that with the exception of like the Ethiopian and um air and trade food like the food is really bad it's very clean city which i don't trust mm-hmm. millions of people shouldn't live in a place and the streets are not full of trash i don't i don't understand what's going on there it's unnatural yeah and you know there are some like citizens residents of washington dc who i don't agree with politically so there we go yeah um, okay, lastly, we sort of touched on this, but you have been on the record to say the exact tweet was happy to dox myself. Ice cream is fucking gross. You are all fools. This is I my mean, hottest take yet. I was the most unpopular person on the internet for one day, <laughs> which is to say to all the people who think they've been canceled, people have been mean to me online and I was able to survive. Right. You didn't suddenly come out of that experience being a Trump supporter (laughs) just because people canceled canceled you for the day (laughs) in air quotes. 
What is ice cream? Ice cream, you lump it in with the sugary dessert, like the presentation of it. No, I think that ice cream tastes like sweet mucus. It's a weird texture. <laughs> it is entirely too cold for people like me with sensitive gums. I'm mm-hmm. not even talking about, you know, like briars. I'm talking about Hagen Dazs, Ben and Jerry's, or just like soft serve from a very well reputed ice cream place. I don't like the stuff. I think it's weird. I think it's cold. You can't anything you can't bite into feels bizarre. I like I'm no fan of jello too, because I like to I like to chew my food. Right. I like to know that I'm receiving nutrition. But um I like what ice cream represents, you know, like childhood and laughter and summer and friendship and fun and frolicking. But you can do that and eat a potato chip at the same time. That's true. And there are also ice creams that have potato chips in them, which I'm not saying that that might change your mind. I'm just saying, like, that exists. Who wants that? Potato <laughs> chip is all cold and soggy. You people are crazy. I just so there are there are options out there, but I I don't want to force you into experiencing an, an ice cream that that you're not here for, which is uh, I guess all ice creams. So, but it exists. Mm. McConnell's McConnell's ice cream as a brand producer Barry turned me on to it and um it is life-changing so but it is creamy and perhaps mucusy and i don't know why i'm just describing the thing that you have expressed your displeasure for but because mm, then this is gonna make me hate potato chips and then i won't have anything to eat then i'll just eat eggs and you know what and then i'll die <laughs> and it'll be all your fault matt Bellasai. i uh, listen if if i can't convince you to my side that i at least want to have corrupted you in some way and i think i did that Fine. I'll give it to you. My life. My name is Jasmine Hughes. I went on an unhappy hour and now my life is ruined forever. Thank you so much. Amazing. Where can people find you in your work? Uh, please don't find me. But I guess if someone needed to, I write for the New York Times and you can just Google my name in New York Times. And I'm on Twitter. At, um, you know, I don't know what my Twitter handle is. Hold on. I'm going to look it up because I've changed it. It's Jazzed Loon, J-A-Z-Z-E-D-L-O-O-N. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know, but that's who I am. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much. And um, I can't wait to to read even more of your stuff in the New York Times. Thank you. And if I do ever come across an ice cream I like, you'll be the first person I call. I hope so. I expect at, at least that much. All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that helps all the bad shit go down easier, starting with Do Better White People, where we highlight something good we can do this week for social justice. This week, I wanted to highlight an Instagram account called Anti-Racism Daily. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, it was created by a woman named Nicole Cardoza. And guess what? It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, (laughs) Every day, it's just a new post. It's a super straightforward action item for something you can do, something you can learn about to help dismantle white supremacy. Like today, when we're recording this, uh, the post today was about understanding representation in vaccination trials oh so like as as scientists are trying to figure out a a vaccine for coronavirus it's super important that 
the the trials that they're doing include people from minority backgrounds to be represented in these vaccination trials if only so that the the eventual vaccine kind of instills the most confidence in all types of communities it's an incredibly um, useful and informative account. It's I've, I found it really great and helpful. And it's also very nice and like well designed. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's just a, a great like super distilled way to get a, a quick hit of info every day. So follow anti-racism daily on Instagram. What are you watching this week, Barry? Well, I haven't been watching a ton of TV, but I have been watching the Dune trailer over and over again. So (laughs) (laughs) I know that everyone, the second that the news came out that the trailer was out, everyone who listens to Unhappy Hour probably thought, oh my God, what is Barry going to say? What is Barry going to say? Here's what I have to say. It looks like it could be really great or also super bad. Um, So (laughs) we will see how it goes. I will definitely be seeing it. I don't necessarily have high hopes, but I do like to look at all of the cast members. Um, it does look like a Star Wars boring movie, but, you know, they would do what you can. However, I also watched, it's not a TV show, but it's a fantastic documentary, and it's called Yodorovsky's Dune. And I didn't even know that Dune, they tried to make it into a movie by Yodorovsky, who is this really surrealist filmmaker in the 60s, and he wanted to make Dune, and he is such a character. And it's about how this movie that ended up not getting made has influenced all of Hollywood, especially sci-fi and Star Wars and Alien and like all of these different movies. So the documentary is great. I loved it. So that's what I was watching this week. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, I've been incredibly stressed this week moving. <laughs> um, and so my my salve this week has been re-watching old episodes of the Great British Bake Off, which is, <laughs> it's weird to rewatch like uh, what is uh, essentially a reality show where you know the outcome. But I can genuinely rewatch every single episode of The Great British Bake Off multiple times. I'm, <laughs> I, I have, and I will continue to. <laughs> and there are so a it's so calming and also like because i love baking it just like inspires me with new ideas but mm-hmm. um there are also like so many small little moments that either i didn't pick up on in previous watches or that just delight me to see again there was one moment it, that made me laugh so hard in one of the episodes they were doing like a video package where they were at one of the contestants uh, homes where they Mm -hmm. like interview their parents and their parents usually it's just like this sweet moment where the parents are like yeah she always loves biking (laughs) and this this one contestant her mom she was she was kind of arguing with her mom and she was like you can't even taste anything and her mom is clearly talking to the camera person like sort of to the side it's not even like the highlight of the clip the focus is on the baker, but her mom is in the background being like, yeah, my, my, my sense of taste goes in and out because I got kicked in the face by a horse when I was a teenager. <laughs> 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 and it's like this just small moment where that you, it's not the focus at all, but it made me laugh so hard that I never realized that. <laughs> just like, what? What a ridiculous thing to say. 
Anyway, I absolutely love that show. What is your uh, what is your other chaser? So my non-TV chaser is N.K. Jemisin's The Fifth Season, which is the first book of her epic fantasy trilogy, The Broken Earth Trilogy. And it's the first time I've ever read her work. And I fucking love it. Like the way that she writes is like it's quick. It's captivating. Uh, it's such an interesting world that she's built. And I'm really, really loving it. So that is my non-TV chaser this week. What about you? Yeah, that's on my list. I'm excited to get to it. Um, Mine is after I spent the entire episode complaining about moving, I am very happy to be in a new place. And so it's my new apartment. I Yeah, it's that thing like when you're moving, they always say it's like what you like out of five things, like you're only going to get three of the five things that you actually like want. Uh And there's always like you always have to compromise. So it is like, especially when you're stressed, easy to be like, oh, here's all the things that I hate, (laughs) which is the idea of this entire podcast. I, I'm I'm trying to focus on like all of the stuff that I really like about it, which is that like I have an entire office and studio space now that I'll be able to make a bunch of cool stuff in. And yeah, I'm happy that my move is over and then I'll get to uh, settle in a little bit and have uh, uh, hopefully some peace. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Next week, I may have burned it all down. There's still time. So thank you for listening to Unhappy Hour. You can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, then rate us and review us, but only if it's nice. I don't want to hear your shit. Unhappy Hour is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Barry Finkel, Melissa Slaughter, and me, Matt Belisai. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. You can bother Barry at Finkleberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Belisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. You can leave us a voicemail on our rant hotline. Give us your own rant that we may feature on the show in a future episode at 601-600-RANT. That's 601-600-7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank you for being a friend. Golden Girls. It's also really nice because he'll be able to help you move your stuff out of your ex-husband's house. Right. Or, yeah, he'll only be a mover forever. I mean, like, just because a doctor retires doesn't mean he can't still perform surgery. Sure. I mean, it does.